0: Father, hear our prayer Let's soften our hearts to break us. We work so hard to convince everyone that we can stand on our own. And yet we know that all we need to do is kneel before your cross. Teach us full and complete surrender. Teach us the abundance of life in you. Increase our faith, grow us, and keep making us new. Father, we thank you and we celebrate you that your resurrection is not a historical lesson simply that gets taught of years long past, but is being relived again and again and again through the resurrected Christ and the presence of his spirit within us, for which we give you thanks. Amen. It's tradition around Christmas time in our house. We always watch the World Junior Hockey Championships where the top players in the world under 20 all get together from their different countries, and this is an amazing tournament. This young player is a young man, 18 years old, by the name of Connor McDavid. NHL Central Scouting has him ranked to go number one overall in the NHL Entry Draft this June. Overnight, he will become a multimillionaire, and over the next couple years, he will become a household name. If all the expectations are right. I love watching my kids watch sports like this because I'm finding out that when we were watching football or whether we we're watching hockey or anything else, my kids are more interested in copying the celebrations of the players after they score than focusing on the techniques that they used to accomplish that feat. So intermission happens and they're interviewing in one of the games, Connor McDavid's coach back from junior hockey. And they ask him, what makes Connor McDavid so special? What makes him better than everybody else? You see, the best guesses are that he's the best new hockey player to come around since Sidney Crosby, which is saying something. And this is the coach's answer. He says, it's really simple. In practice, Connor McDavid works harder than anybody I've ever seen in all my life. That was so not the answer my boys were hoping for. Like, give me some sort of quick trick, right? Give me some sort of technique, some quick book I can read, a program I can run through, a little recitation I can put, one verse I can stick on my mirror in the morning, and boom, voila, quick fix. I am the world's greatest hockey player. But it don't go down like that. Who we truly are and who we are becoming is forged in the crucible of day-to-day decisions in life. Spiritual formation is different than the rest of the processes taking place in the world around us. It is not an instant quick fix. It is the long obedience in the same direction. It's a slow walk. And we make the road by walking. You want to be as good as Connor McDavid? Well, you better be the hardest working player in the world in practice. That's the lesson of his coach. When we look at disciples in this world that we look up to, people and Christians who are making a difference, who have an articulate and distinctive and yet beautiful voice in the world that is recognized and acknowledged in their field by Christians and non-alike, I guarantee you the people who make things look the most effortless are the ones who put in the most work behind the scenes. And spiritual formation is often like this too. Who you are who you really are is not the front that you put up that you let everybody else see. Your true character is forged in the decisions that you make when nobody else is looking. At the end of the day this this isn't me. I'm not the person that you see preaching out of the Bible on Wednesday mornings. My mentor always reminded me Aaron who you really are is all the things and the decisions you make when nobody else is looking it's still the quiet places of your heart where you haven't let anybody else in and those are good reminders for all of us who do you want to be some of you would have profs who have made you go through exercises saying write the letter of recommendation you want me to write for you 4 years from now when you graduate out of this place what would you want to say on that paper That isn't just some flowery words said about you, but is true of your actual character deep down. And then let's reverse engineer that and figure out the pieces that need to get put in place so that you are that person when you leave here. What I wanted to do in chapel this semester was spend time talking about exactly this. What are the things that faculty and alumni wish they could go back in time and say to their old self? in the still and in the quiet, in the decisions that they made when nobody else was looking, the stuff that really is gonna matter longer term in life? And what are all the questions that you're asking that you feel are pressing upon your life that aren't being dealt with right now or you don't feel are being dealt with yet in the curricular content that you're experiencing in class? And I'm gonna show you the results of those surveys this morning. But I think this is absolutely crucial, you guys, for all of us to understand this, regardless of what stage of life that we're at. Who you are And your integrity and your character has to do with the biggest part of you, the iceberg underneath the surface. This is why I'm so struck lately by the social phenomenon of anonymous social media sites. Right? The yik-yak, the sip stuff. See, this is the ironic part about it, is everybody thinks that when you put something on an anonymous social media site, you're making a commentary about the world around you. But given the light of the knowledge of which I just shared with you, a comment that you make on an anonymous social media site is actually, more accurately, a mirror of the character and the content of what is inside of us, and not what we see in the world around us. That might be a hard truth for some of us to swallow in decisions made in poor moments, And yet the banter is fascinating too because people can sit on the flip side of that and then stand on the outside saying, well look at all of that, look at those terrible people and then there's sort of this judgment made from the outside looking in. You Remember two days ago we celebrated the life of Martin Luther King and the wisdom that he passed? Some of his greatest ire was reserved for Christian pastors and leaders who stood on the sidelines, knew what was right and refused to get involved in the fray and never enter into the conversation because they thought they were too Pious or it was too dangerous for their reputation or ministry. If we are going to be beautiful, articulate voices that will be distinctive in the world, every single one of us at times, and whatever our field is going to be, whatever the conversation at hand is, we're going to have to be able to stand in the fray. King said it like this, Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And I would add to that that no darkness ever got changed by a bunch of Christians turning their back to it. Or in the words of Rob Bell, we need to stop blaming the darkness for being dark and ask the light why it's not shining any brighter. Why is the resurrection in in us not being willing to shine any brighter? Why are we not willing to step into places and enter into conversations that are hard? I've been thinking about the hard conversations I've had with myself over the years. If there's one, maybe the most redemptive piece of all these anonymous social media sites has been this post. <laughs> Which, I might add, has the highest number of upvotes on anything on SIP at Door College so far. Why is that picture significant to me? Some cocky, wide-eyed, guilty-looking 20-year-old transfer student to Dork College in 1996 having gotten kicked out of college somewhere else before that, spending a year paying off my dad for all the sins that I had done, coming back in hoping to make a fresh start, hoping people wouldn't know my whole story, a place to recreate and be made new. But you have no idea how many times I wish I could go back and slap that kid in the face because he made lots of dumb choices. Other times I wish I could put an arm around him through a time machine and whisper in his ear and say, you don't have to try so hard. Just get comfortable in your own skin. It's okay. You're on the way to becoming who God wants you to be, who God created you to be, to live into your potential. Stop worrying so much. I want to be a person of inner peace who's not fighting inside of myself all the time so much. So what I wanted to do was collect some of my thoughts and thoughts of others and have a conversation with you about what those things could be. Last week, I was in a preaching workshop with Dr. David Lowe, so a bunch of pastors from the area, he flew in from Pennsylvania, we were talking about difficult passages to preach on. He referenced this one from Matthew 5, 48. The context is in that passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about enemy love and how hard it is to move in a direction of something your heart isn't inclined to do. And then this passage is the concluding statement at the end of it. And I've always struggled with it because it's a hard one to swallow. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Is that where I'm trying to go? But then he broke it down for us and showed us that it's hard because there's not really a word that translates this properly. The word perfect in the text is the word telos. It's the end and conclusion that something is heading toward. It's the realization of the full potential of something. We use the word perfect to to explain a flawless existence. Something that doesn't have error within it. But that's not really what telos means. It means moving towards and into your fullest potential. Move toward the you God created you to be, just as he is the father that he is, the I am. So what does that mean for us the rest of the way through I asked you guys this question. 300 different people responded over the course of this survey, and people who have to mark tests and scores where there aren't multiple choice answers are committed to many more hours to figure this stuff out. I am incredibly indebted. Jordan Huseman put in tons of hours to collect and sift through 300 answers and provide all the data I'm going to put up here. So thank you very much, Jordan, for your actuarial science gifts that I know nothing about. Student question, what big questions in life are you asking around that you don't feel are being addressed in your college education? Most of us were baffled by the answer. Students, think about sex. <laughs> Calling. Conversations you know that you have to have that we're not fully having. How are we going to engage this conversation? Great challenge for the church in the coming generation. on Conversations surrounding homosexuality. How do I hear God's voice? How do I go out in the kingdom? How do I engage in conversation in other, with other faiths? How do I evangelize? What do I do with my money living in the world? So these are just the student results, okay? We're going to come back to this in a minute. The question we asked all of the faculty, and this is wonderful because about 60% of faculty responded to this question, so I think we've got a great cross-section. Um, outside of curricular content, what big question in life do you wish your students were asking right now, but you're not hearing? Now, notice where the differences are from your answers. They want you to think about what it's going to really mean to live in the world when you've got to leave this place and engage in a whole new way. How are you going to find a place in community? You're going to hear that same thing come up for alumni. It's harder to do than we imagine. The choices in life that you're making right now and how they will affect your future. Again, hearing God's voice, how do we do this? our place and our role within the body of Christ, the life that is fully living for him, and again, conversations surrounding homosexuality. They're asking these questions too. And you could see on down the rest of the list. Now we asked alumni, graduates of this place, this question. Because of what you know now, if you could go back in time and say something to your college self, what would it be? What questions should DORT students be asking in life right now but probably aren't? You know, you don't know what you don't know, so this is why the church is so beautiful when it's intergenerational, because people above you who've walked further down the road you're traveling can impart wisdom along the way. Four answers tied at the top of their list. Living for God, going out in the kingdom, community, and commit to laying foundations. Those questions had to do with the decisions, again, that you're making now that set up patterns and habits to become the way you live later. One of the things I wish I could go back and tell my college self, get in a good pattern of health, of taking care of yourself now, because that freshman picture that played hockey for the Dort Blades in his freshman year at 123 pounds, that metabolism isn't sticking around. You should go get a workout routine that you can keep up with, Aaron, because it's really hard to recreate one at 38. That's one of the things I would say. (laughs) So now if we take an aggregate, put all the faculty, alumni, and student answers together, this is what comes up. Calling rises to the top. How am I supposed to figure out my place in God's world? If only there was a college that would help you find your place in God's world. So you can see now the ones that have really risen to the top. So what I did is I met with a spiritual development committee, which is a combination of students, uh, campus ministry leaders, and faculty. We sifted through some more of these answers at another level and came up what will be our exploration together through chapel this semester. Um, you can see I divided this into four categories because it's really where the top 12 answers were. Um, and we're simply calling this more. How do I experience more of God in my life? You can see the first three chapels in red. How do I become more myself and who I was created to be? The next three in blue how do I live more for others and engage them in a healthy and beautiful way that is Christ like? In dating and marriage, in church and community engagement, and in this conversation that we all feel is pressing on the church right now. And how do I engage the world better to be distinctively Christian, to make financial decisions that are value driven, and how do I make a difference? So these are the topics we're going to walk through together and hopefully we're actually going to create some time like we did. For those of you who were here last year during Lent, we offered an opportunity to break into small groups. We read through a book called The Cure and then um, had conversations surrounding that. What I want to do this semester is we're not even going to give you a book to read, but during the season of Lent we're going to do the same thing. I have an opportunity to break up into small groups. We're going to take some of these topics and I'm going to provide questions surrounding them and just simply let you as a campus, students, staff, and faculty engage these questions together and create dialogue around these things to learn from one another to be the body of Christ together to have some of the conversations that we feel we need to have but aren't having yet and of course keeping in mind the big picture in all of this this is the book I'm reading through right now at the same time if you want to read through this with me interact with me you are welcome to it's John Ortberg's The Me I Want to Be came across this in the first chapter of this past week. Life is not about any particular achievement or experience. The most important task of your life is not what you do, but who you become. Our lives have become so task-driven that when we think about changing who we are, what we typically do is add a new practice or a new discipline in. And creating transformation simply by adding or doing more has not proven itself to work. Focusing more on a sin in my life typically isn't the most powerful way of eliminating that sin from me. Transformation happens in different ways. So, how is it that we can focus and remind ourselves and stop answering questions like, What are you going to do when you get out of this place? Next time somebody asks you that question, correct them. Your goal is not what you are going to do when you get out of this place, your goal is who you are going to become. Because out of your being will come your doing, and that is always the way it has gone. This is modeled for us in God himself. a God who is love moves out of that into the world. And I loved this last quote he had in here in this chapter 2. And here's the good news in all of this transformation, sanctification process. When you flourish, you become more you. You become that person that God had in mind when he thought you up. And you don't just become holier. You become you-ier. I love it when people make up words, that the second you hear them, instantly resonate with you. I would love to become more me year I don't know fully what that means, but I want to figure it out with you. And We're going to do that together this semester a little bit more, because after all, we want to be perfect. We want to head towards everything that God intended for us. And we're going to work on and talk about and share a little more deeply who we are when nobody else is looking. We all understand that the decisions that we're making now are setting up patterns in our life. Because here's a great truth, you guys. One day, some of you will walk down an aisle to meet a bride or a groom at the end of it. And simply participating in that ceremony does not make you a fantastic spouse. It's the work and the grind and it's the experience and all the little things that slowly make those things happen over time. Walking across this stage to receive a diploma after four years in this place doesn't necessarily make you fully ready to engage everything in life. It means that you're good at learning how you're going to do that the rest of the way through. So how are we going to be great students of life? Well, we're going to be great students of the Lord who created that life and learn to find answers together along the way. I'm going to lay that process before the Lord in prayer with you as we close. Will you pray with me? Father, your giving heart is so evident from the first page of Scripture. There is a kingdom that you are giving away. and an eternal life that is not a threshold we will cross, but one breaking in now. Father, help us to know what it moves means in each of our lives to be moving towards our telos. To be living right now in light of the eternity that's breaking in. Help us to become more us. Father, you had beautiful things in mind when you created everybody in this room. You had beautiful ways that you've intended each of us to participate in the inbreaking of your kingdom. Not that we would spend our lives to build our own empire, but to give away your kingdom. Father, help us to understand that. Help us to be excited about that not simply when we sing it with other Christians and feel in our greatest moments of strength, but in our moments of weakness, where you, through the work of your Spirit, are forging our character, our likeness, of you, our truest identity. Father, excite our hearts about that process and make us new in you. Help us your light, to keep shining brighter. In Jesus' name, amen. We stand and receive a blessing going into the beginning of the semester and your week. Children of the great, creative, sovereign God, he knit you together in your mother's womb. All your days have been numbered before they even started. He has a plan for you. There will be hard pieces along the way and there will be beautiful moments of redemption and recreation. Eternal life for you will not simply come on the day you die. It is coming in now for you are already now his handiwork, his new creation. Have a beautiful semester in service to our King. Amen.